tomorrow would be one month since I published my last podcast episode. Uh, we had a kid uh, a month ago on July the 5th. As of this recording, is July 26th. So I've taken the last few weeks off uh, of regular work and getting back into the swing of things. So I thought I'd kick it off uh, our, our latest episode with a 30-minute um, Zoom call that me and a friend Val had. Val is a copywriter. Uh, she posted a tweet uh, a few weeks before this call talking about wanting to raise her price and being basically booked out too far in her freelance work. So uh, I responded back on Twitter, hey, you should look at increasing your price in two or three X, what you're doing now. And uh, she reached out and talked about getting on a call, uh, having a little coaching session, talking through that, some limiting beliefs or some challenges she might face in doing that. So that's what this call is. Kind of a different format than usual, but uh, let me know if you like it. So we were talking about pricing, right? It feels like it took us a month to finally chat. So I think you you, were, you were tweeted something about raising your price. I'm like, totally raise your price. And then we started DMing and um, I forget yeah. all the details now. So maybe fill me in. And- well, you said something about double your prices. And I was like, uh, yeah. that would make a day rate for me $6,000. And you were like, you can do it. Uh- <laughs> yeah. That would make a day. Would that be a day for you, you said? A day. Yeah. Okay. And just for my information, how does a day, is it a day of production or a day like physically you guys working together or is that eight hours of work or how does that piece work? Yeah. So a day is um, a day dedicated to your brand and uh, what you need. So sometimes it is strategy. Sometimes it's writing. Um, It depends on what the client needs. Mm -hmm. Typically, they aren't, we aren't like together all day. Right, right. Um, we have, like a kickoff call. I go and do some work. We have a check-in, um, I do some more things and then yeah. a wrap up. Um, cool. It's not based around deliverables. It's more based around uh, like what, what needs to happen? What is the end goal and working toward that? Um, so yeah. they're really great for teams that like need outside perspective or a way to get going. Um, like maybe they have, somebody in-house who can handle writing the emails if they have the strategy behind it or, right, um, right. You know, or like an outline mapped out. Um, yeah. 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 So that's how days work. I don't do a lot of them anymore. Um, yeah. I tend to do more just like larger projects, mostly because I can really only do day rates if you have already done some really in-depth customer research recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't, I can't really charge a day rate for customer research. So, um, typically those are done when I've already worked with the company on a project and then Mm -hmm. we're coming back and doing more, um, then we'll do day rates. Yeah. You've tried, like, are you at your current ceiling of what you charged before? Or have you tried to charge more than what you currently do? I've definitely, so I've, I have doubled my prices, but that was when I was charging 1200 for a day. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and like 750 for a half day or something. Um, and how did that go? So some of my clients at, at the lower price said, we can't work with you anymore. Right. And, right. Um, and that was okay. You know, uh, yeah. then there's other yeah. people. And I think that that's the biggest thing, um, is just like going up market is really scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, uh, why do you want to raise the price? Is it a like capacity issue? Like you just can't take more people. So it's either money. Yeah. So, yeah. so like, that's actually the real, 
question, I guess, and like thing I wanted to bounce off of you is, yeah, and yeah. I was just reading, um, Marie Poulin was, uh, wrote about this recently, um, the scalability mm -hmm. of a service business. Right. Uh, because it's either you raise your prices as a, a solo operator and go up market, or mm -hmm. you scale and take on more clients but have a team. Uh, right. And I know that and you have a strong preference on which one you want to do. Uh, it's like a combination of both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have a, I've been talking with a potential client and he was saying back in my consulting days, um, cause he used to consult and he was, he said, you know, I would, I would charge like $50,000 for a project. And then I would tell mm -hmm. them you're getting like my brain, my strategy, uh, you know, the, the, the things I do best. If you want me to write a report yeah. or put anything into like a piece of software yeah. or implement anything, that's like a hundred thousand dollars. Cause to him that was stuff right. that was like, I don't want to create PDFs in my report. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. he's like, you need to take implementation out of all of your mm -hmm. projects. Right. Uh, and my kind of pushback to him was, well, people hire me right now because they are a three or four person team. They don't have someone right. to implement for them. Right. And that's why right. they come to me. And he's like, yeah, so you need to go to companies that have people to implement um, yeah. and are ready to do that and just take implementation out. Um, so, you know, you can basically charge the same rate, but do less work. Right. So how can I help? You just kind of want to chat through it or do you have a specific question I could like attempt to answer myself or provide experience for, or what do you think the best route? Yeah, I could I just think, like say stuff, but I want to make sure I'm helpful. I think that um, <laughs> for me, it's like, okay, so when you say double your price, it, yeah. Does that necessarily, does it mean like double your price on the exact same service or reduce the scope of the service, which essentially doubles your price, mm. right? Um, if you're able yeah. to do more. So my favorite like pricing lesson I ever learned was from a, I've gone back and tried to find it and I can't find it, but it's a Gary V video from probably 2008. And, no, it must've been later. It must've been like 2010 because it's when he started, he, when he quit the wine thing and started that, Mm. And somebody did like a call in thing and asked him, how do you figure out price? And he said, well, the first client we had, we charged them $8,000 a month. And then the next client, we were like, all right, it's going to be $16,000 a month. They're like, okay. And the next client was $32,000 a month. And he's like, okay. And the next client was $64,000 a month and $32,000 a month. So they said yes. And that's where they priced their service. So one of the takeaways for me was just like, don't be afraid for your next client to charge more and just see what happens. Yeah. Um, and that's what we've done consistently. Like we're in a, we're in a period right now with our coaching program where I very first started coaching five years ago, it was a hundred dollars an hour for, for basically a Skype call. We would talk on the phone, Skype for an hour. And then well, we've got five people in that and I doubled it to 250 or increases to 250, then 500, then a thousand, then 2000, then 5,000. And then people stopped buying at 5,000, which actually we wanted, we did, I didn't want more people. So we just kept it there. Right. Program. We were charging uh, $5,000 and we have in capacity 
issues. Like, all right, guys, sales guys, why don't we just double it for the next 90 days until our next meeting? Or you have the freedom to charge more if you want to. So if you want to charge 12,000, charge 12,000. Your commission scales the same. So for the past, that's been 60 days. That was the end of March we met. And now we're at the end of May. And our average red thousand to eight thousand dollars because they've just been like we've had a sell this morning for 15 grand and three payments of 15 grand with a sell yesterday for one payment of nine grand and we've only been charging ever five thousand dollars for it so that's like getting two and three four customers in a day versus we typically get one or two so right. one i think just experimenting is completely fine like take your next client and try it out and just see what happens right. uh, i know a book that i probably one of my two or three favorite business books, which you may have read or maybe not, but it's called Built to Sell. Have you ever read it? I haven't. Dude, like get that and read it tomorrow. It is just like for any, like every year. And it's, um, it, it's the basic gist is um, this, I think it's like a, I don't know what genre book this would call, but I, I think it's fiction, but it's a nonfiction book told in story form. And it's just, it's such a good way like to write that. a nonfiction book. Yeah, I like But this guy's running an agency. He's been doing this agency for like, 10 years and he's burnt out. They do like, you know, conference show booths and print advertising and well, anything, any, and just a typical ad agency where they'll do anything a client needs. And he goes to this mentor of his and says, Hey, I'm burnt out. I want to sell. So the mentor asks a few questions and uh, he's like, the mentor is just like, you just don't, your business is worth nothing. Like no one will buy this. Um, but over the next two years, and that's the majority of the book covers the next two years of them restructuring the business in a way so that it's sellable. And the guy writes down a number of how much he wants to sell it for like five or $10 million or whatever it was. And over the next two years, this mentor works with him to just focus on like one, they cut all of the clients over the course of time. I think within six to 12 months in, they have no clients except they specialize in logo design. That's the only, they cut the big client that paid them 40 grand a month. They eventually cut off and like all we do is, and everybody thought they were stupid. Uh, but they wind up selling for their number because they have a they have a process and everyone knows what they do. They're hyper specialized in that thing. It's super systematized. He's not the center of it, but it's uh, it's convinced me. Even if you don't run a service business, the best way to build a business is is as if you're going to sell it. Mm -hmm. So my number one internal goal for myself is a sell goal by the end of 2020 business. But I want to build it in a way that is sellable because it's the least amount of stress on me. And it's the best production that a client could ask for. So we started restructuring our coaching program around that. Like, let's take me out of it. Because if it's me, it, that, you can't sell that. And it's also not scalable. And I'll eventually get bored of it or burn out on it or whatever, which I was getting. Product is much better. And it's a much more sellable business because we have recurring revenue coming in. We have onboarding process and the coaching is all documented out. And it's just really, really good. Um, so I might, I think maybe step one, would, like what I would recommend would like grab, grab that book and read it. I think that'll like, instigate a million ideas for you. Yeah. Uh, another thing would just be on your next customer, just charge more and see what happens. Like make them say no, make two customers say no. Like right now you don't need the work anyway. You got too much work. So if one or two people say no, like not a big deal. If they say yes to your doubled rate, you're ecstatic about it. <laughs> um, and I, I've doubled so many times, like with different products where it just works. Like there's not even like people don't even bat. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting to me is that. Okay, yeah, not a problem the the um it's like a mental it's obviously a mental hurdle too it's all mental it's right? all totally mental <laughs> yeah but yep. then there's there's also the like okay well if i if i take the the route of pulling pieces out mm. and also think, increasing price right 
which like the nice thing is about like a really any digital product. It's not like they're sitting on the shelf and a customer is shopping between this book, this book, and this book, or this brand of rice, that brand of rice, and that brand of rice. The reason they're buying from you is because they followed you on Twitter, they followed your blog, they heard you talk at a conference, and they want you. Right. Not because they're comparing you to Joel, to Liana, to Will, to all these people. Like They don't even know those people exist for the most part. Like You know all these people exist because you're in all the copywriting circles, but they follow you and they want you, so they're coming to you for this. So that increases the premium that you can charge just on its own. Uh, and one thing built to sell has helped us with, and I think potentially could help you, although I haven't dove into like how you're offering your product and whatnot, but with me, anytime we hire a contractor to do something, like I'm thinking about our bookkeeper, I mean, really, she's not even a bookkeeper. She's like a, she runs all of our back office. So benefits and financials and everything. Yeah. And she's contract. We pay her $3,000 a month. And that's a decent chunk of money. Like we could probably maybe save money. I don't know if we could save money or not. It doesn't like, I don't even think about it. She's our highest priced contractor outside of people that just do project work. They might spike in work in a month or something. Um, but she just like, when she, when we met, she was like, here are the services I offer. There is no price negotiation. There is no scope negotiation. This is what I do. You can buy that or not buy that. So it's like a product as service where there's just, and that's the whole point of build to sell more or less is getting really specific with what you offer. So the fact that one client you quoted implementation, the next one you didn't, they don't know that. I have no idea. Like they can't even compare it even if they wanted to. And it doesn't matter even if they could. Um, like that, it's pretty irrelevant client to client what you offer. So I think if you want to rip out, I'm not convinced you need to rip out implementation. I think that's something you could totally, if you think that's the best solution that's ever existed for the client you want to serve, then offer it. But maybe you don't do it. Maybe you hire a tech person for 15 bucks an hour to do it. Like that's not that big of a deal to install the welcome sequence. Like that's the easiest part of the entire thing. Yeah, I, that's the, is it like, I don't think that taking that out um, decreases the price of the project. Because no, not at all. The real value is in the strategy and the, you know, the yeah. brainwork. Unless, and I don't know your client that well, but I mean, I know the five person business who, because you know, I, I, we're that and we've been that. Uh, so I know more or less the, the psychology behind that. Um, but I think starting with what problem do you solve? We were just talking like, we were just talking with a guy about that and potentially writing a book and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, all these ideas are great, but what problem, like starting at the problem we're solving and knowing that really well. And if one of the major problems with the people you're serving is tech implementation, like taking that out, what's the point of taking it out? Like, is it just so it's easier for you? Like, I mean, I, you could make that decision, but that like on a product level doesn't make a lot of sense at all. Like it would be way easier for you to increase your rates by 50 to hundred percent and just pay someone a hundred dollars to install it. And you're talking about, you can charge. I don't really, the way it affects how much you can charge, I think in my opinion would be if your clients really need that, like they don't know how to use infusion salt. And the idea of that is like just overwhelming. And you could add one bullet point to what you're talking about in your discovery calls. Like, yeah. And we just, we write it and we implement it. And it's just like, we have one, one hour call. You digest to me. We write the emails, I put it in a structure that works, and then you wake up the next day and it's all in there working correctly. Like, right. that sounds incredible, actually. And right. to take that piece out and to say, and then you're going to have to figure out to install all this. If your target person is like, like, and if you go up market and you sell to like bigger companies where they have the tech guy, that actually might be a negative. Like, I wouldn't want you in Infusionsoft. I would want Jeff to install it. So for us, that wouldn't be a big selling point. Um, because that's like, well, she doesn't know how we tag or she doesn't know like the campaign structure. It's like, I don't really want another person. We, we don't even let our own other people do it. It's like, if you write an email, give it to Jeff, he sends it. 
just have a process for that. Um, but even if like you have your if you charge $6,000 or a welcome campaign, um, and you have a proprietary process and all you do is write welcome campaigns all day long. And every time somebody has a new product, you write a welcome. Like that'd be the equivalent of the logo design service and built to sell. Like you're extremely good at that. You do that one thing for SaaS businesses and that's it. Now you might have a welcome campaign for, that's one thing interesting about logos. Their target demo does a lot of logos. Like they have a new product launch every year. So they have a different logo every year. So they have repeating clients, but for one really specific type of thing. Now I don't know if it makes sense for you just to do one type of email campaign. It might be three, but, um, but even if it's just welcome campaigns, like we have a new product we launch about every three months, everyone needs a welcome campaign. We have like, so I think it, that question is really irrelevant of pricing. I don't, I don't feel like that's like a thing, like whether you do tech implementation, you're talking about your hard costs is a couple hundred dollars for a client you're charging six grand. So it doesn't right. even really affect profit margin by double digits. Right. So exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't really, that's more of a digital, not want it. If so, offer it. Um, if it's a magical experience for them and it costs you another hundred dollars, like totally give them the magical experience. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to do it where I would, where I, where my brain tends to go is built a cell model for you of what are the one to three services or types of campaigns that I write? Who are the type of people I want to offer them for? And maybe we don't know that. Maybe it, maybe we've been doing the four to five person business thing, but maybe we want to experiment in the, the 40 person SaaS business and the 400 person SaaS business, just to see like you could probably triple your rates over there and it doesn't matter, but maybe not. Like, I don't know if you tested those markets, but um, yeah. So maybe to summarize my initial thought was doubling your price is try and see what happens one. Cause you never know. Like maybe if you go from three K to six K they're like, okay, cool. Your offering is so solid and covers my problem. So well, that's not, that's a no brainer. Cause I can show you where six K is going to give you, 12k in your first 90 days so that's a good exchange like i have 13 case studies of where that happens for your exact type of business so yeah that just makes sense and if they say no to that they're not a customer you want to work with anyway um so i think just experimenting is interesting but i think there's probably a bigger level like business structure question still out there that um yeah i think it's like um I went from having a really productized business to now productized is how we start. And then it goes into more custom solutions and those custom solutions are where pricing gets hairy for me. And, uh, and, and also I am in this tricky position of, I teach other people who do what I do, or I teach people to do what I do. And I also teach them the value of it and to charge a premium for it. Mm -hmm. So, my contractors are not cheap either yeah. um, because I've, because I've taught them to not be. <laughs> <Right. laughs> so I've created a monster for my yeah. own uh, doing, but, um, but I do think that, that that's important that contract, even as contractors that they're paid well, um, obviously they're yeah. not managing the client and doing the, uh, you know, even the marketing and the lead generation. So yeah. there is, um, you know, there's some negotiation with them to say like, Hey, I know this is what you would charge a client, but like I'm handing you a client. So this is great. Right. I think that that's like a whole other level of the, the pricing conversation is like you can double your rates and then, and also what are your actual costs and how does that impact all of it? And I don't think your actual costs matter at all. Why is that? To what you're charging a customer. Doubling? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean it matters to you need to make profit, but right. Like if you, if your hard cost is a hundred dollars and you charge 6,000 or 12,000 or 50,000, like that doesn't matter to the end customer at all. Like that's yeah. fairly irrelevant. Yeah. But I, I think um, you also have like a, 
for, let me maybe ask you this, like what's your, what are you trying to accomplish with your business in general? Like what's the goal? What's the mission? What's the purpose? I think those are all questions that inform all of these decisions as well. Yeah. Cause you yeah. could go a hundred directions with this, with what you have going on. You got a lot of interesting pieces in place. It's like, all right, what do you want to do? Do you want to sell? Do you want to build it to a certain number? Do you just want a really good lifestyle for yourself? Like all of those are perfectly fine, but what's your goal like individually? Uh, so I want to have a million dollars in uh, savings, like a retirement plan in yep. 10 years. So a million in 10 years. Okay. Wow. Or, like personally it's stored away in a 401k after all yeah. of my expenses are paid, all of that. So it's obviously like way more than a million in revenue um, sure. over the course of the next 10 years, a million. And Why do you want that? Um, because I feel like that gives me like, yes, money. Like, yes, mm -hmm. we can do that. Um, I can take my kids on trips and feel confident that we're, we they still have a future. We still have a future. Yeah. Um, you know, my husband and I can travel and do things and we can just say yes to more things. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're financially secure for the future. Yeah. I know that in the future, a million dollars is not going to mean much um, yeah, as far as like retirement savings goes. But, um, but that feels like a really solid foundation, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, do you particularly, do you have a strong preference on what your business, what you want the business to look like to get there? Um, I don't, I know that I always want to have a service component. I think pulling that yeah. out entirely. Um, I don't know. People want, people want help doing things. And I, and I want my business to be of service to people. So a yeah. service component will always be there. I like having a product component as well, like teaching um, workshops, things like that, where I can not only help one-on-one, -on -one, but also in group mm -hmm. settings. Um, right. so, so both of those components, and I don't see myself leaving the, the arena of customer churn, uh, yeah. onboarding, retention yeah. anytime soon. Like yeah. that's, that's something I'm super passionate about. So. Yeah. Hmm. So have you run the math of like, what does monthly revenue need to look like? What does profit margin need to look like over the next 10 years to get there? Like what, are, what, what are the numbers on that? That I have not run for the 10 year, like for that whole 10 years. Um, we're talking know, about a million dollars divided by 120 months. Mm -hmm. Talking about $8,500 a profit a month. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's, it actually is double the prices because um, we're looking right now, we're looking at between like two and four in profit a month. Mm -hmm. Um, and if we double that, then that would be between four and eight. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah. then if we're able to scale up with a little bit of team and take on more work, then that's mm -hmm. an easy fix. I think reading built to sell might be a total game changer for you. Yeah, it's I think it would be like a mental model. To, I mean, it takes the productized consulting piece that you like have a, you definitely know and have done in the past and scales it up to accomplish exactly what you would accomplish. Um, I think one thing to think about too is, and maybe you have this already, but what does recurring revenue with existing clients look like? Like, is there a way to, to set it up so that the same client is paying you month after month after month to maybe manage their churn? Maybe you're not a copywriter. Maybe you're a churn manager right. uh, that does copywriting obviously, but you manage the whole process for them. So you just go to 
every open source bare metrics thing that exists and find people over $2 million a year of ARR and you go to them and pitch them on, I'll manage your churn and make you more money than I cost you by doing X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I write them, but I also track it and tweak it and manage it. You'd pay me $5,000 a month to manage your churn and I save you $15,000 a month. Like, I wonder if there's something there in the problem you're solving that, cause that could build up very quickly to $8,000 a month because you have a lot of your work in the beginning and they're just paying you each month to manage the process and send them reports. That's like bounce exchanges model. They have one of the most fascinating marketing services that I've seen. I mean, they charge 10 to 20 grand a month for that, for e-com businesses. And they optimize and send a report. And they have a one page report. They have a call every two weeks to tell you what's going on. And they charge 10 grand a month per client. Uh, they may even be 15 or 20 now, I forget. But I've had several friends that have used them with big, big e-com shops. And, um, you know, they come up with experiment ideas for the test shopping pages and they do it. So I don't know. I think there might be some stuff even in that direction on a product level to think about. Because yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think getting to $8,000 of profit per month is like, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's far off at all. No, and actually I have a sticky on my computer that says data science because I like I want to get more I want to learn more about data science and, and yeah. data, like that stuff I that's what I love about email is mm -hmm. the data side of it. So I, I know the copy side and I can do that and that's not a big deal and um, yeah. that does feel like something I can actually bring people in to do and the yeah. data is um, to me that's the, like the exciting stuff. It's also uh, Nick D has the same kind of model for like mm -hmm. AB testing. Yeah. Uh, and having people on retainers for yeah. uh, online projects and experiments and stuff. I have a good friend who runs a company called Gravy. Great. They're basically a payment saver. So when your payments fell or a card yeah. declines or whatever, they like follow up. Buster. Yeah. Yeah. Churn buster, but service. Oh. Um, and I mean, they've gone from, they're at like 150,000 monthly recurring revenue now in a year and a half. And they're growing like the first year was slow but it's the best business, one of the best business models I've ever seen. Cause I mean, we hire them and we pay them $400 a month retainer and then they get 30% of what they save and they manually outreach, text, call, whatever, send us a report each month. I never think about it. It's a, like we could do it internally, but we wouldn't be as good as them. We paid them. They always make it every month. They send us a report that said, you paid us $600 and we brought you $5,000 a month. That's a good exchange rate. Do more of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would do that I, I think all day long. Exactly. Like, and we're, we're about this next month going to start running some experiments to look at some service to like Legion services like that of us, you pay us $10,000 a month. We make you $50,000 a month. And it's just a simple reportable thing. Yeah. And it's a, the ramp up the, the onboarding is where there's intensive. And then it's just a simple system to run after that. Those businesses are one extremely sellable um, and very process driven. And it's not like Val gets people there right now but they come because they, they stay because they're making more money because, because of you and it's super trackable. And that's, that's not even super complicated to look at. Like you hook them up to bare metrics or something, you know what their churn was before you work on them and their churn gets from 5% to 2% and that makes them $2 million over the next five years. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. There's stuff there. I think just experimenting with like going from buy my one-off product consulting, now do the custom package because the custom is probably where you're getting a ton of bandwidth issue. And I might even look at doubling the custom thing is like probably where your biggest my gut would be where your biggest opportunity is like your product has still stays the same and if you want to keep doing custom stuff which i'm not 100 sold to be the best route to get to your goal but if you want to double the price of that because there's yeah. nothing even to compare it to and they've already hired you that like you now it's like my copywriter i'm sure that like his price has definitely gone up over time and I don't, like, we never even talk price it's like okay cool just send us the bill when you're done i trust you and i, I don't even want to think about that and it just comes in and he make we get a report at the end of the project and we know how much money we made from it so it's a pretty 
pretty straightforward thing, but, um, yeah, I think, anyway. uh, and that's part of the pivot. So, um, in, on June 12th, I'm going to launch my new website, fix my churn. And yeah. I feel like that's part, like this is all aligning with that pivot to fix my churn where, you know, it's about email, it's centered around that, but oh, it's yeah. really about like fixing ongoing long-term churn. Cause there might be other stuff like it might be email, but it also might be like, like just go to Nathan and say, Hey dude, I see your month, your, your churn is 4% hire me for three months for 10 K and, right. and I want to lower it. And here's my plan to do it. And just like get one customer and see if like, and there, there's probably like, don't worry about your scope. It's like, all right, what's the problem? What's the best way ever invented to solve it and invent that and charge a crap ton of money in it. Cause no one else, I mean, the internet's a big place, but very few people are going to specialize in your exact thing because they're doing copywriting for all this stuff, or they're writing a course on churn, they're writing a course on onboarding or whatever it is. Like they're not like servicing on this one pain point that everyone follows, everyone tracks. But I remember the other day, and I got to jump off, I got to call one, yeah. but uh, Andrew Warner tweeted out that he'd been using metrics for a long time, but the churn rate was almost discouraging because he was like, all right, I see it's going up, but I don't know what to do. You're giving me the number, but you don't tell me what to do. But yeah. even, if, even if he knew what to do, he's not going to go do it um, because he, like, he didn't know how to, he's a, actually a pretty poor copywriter. Like he didn't know how to do it. Like he doesn't have something on the team that specializes in it. If Val sees that tweet and he's like, Hey Andrew, let's set up a call. I want to fix your churn. One, you'd be a podcast interview on Andrew's site. So you'd get 10 other people interested and he would trumpet you to the masses. He's launched several businesses of people right. he's hired and done it. So I think there's a really, I love that you're already down this path. I'm not telling you anything new, but uh, I think there's a really interesting opportunity to be the, the churn fixer person. And that involves email, but it probably involves other stuff too. Um, but it's a monthly recurring thing for you where you have the initial project and you maintain an ongoing and you report to them. It's super number, like it's the closer to money you are, the more you can charge. And you're like on top of the money, like you are the money in the business. Right. Um, yeah. And I feel like having those reports where you're able to say like, Hey, you paid me X and yes. we saved you X. Um, yep. That's super valuable. And I don't 100%. know why anyone would ever turn that off. Had a friend ask me this morning how to set KPIs and how many KPIs for a position are optimal. Um, so again, I'm not a KPI expert. I can just share from our experience what's worked and what hasn't. Um, so just FYI, a KPI is a key performance indicator. What is an indicator that someone is performing well? So the way I think about this is first start with the goal. What is the goal that the person is trying to accomplish? We at Growth Tools set those on a quarterly basis. What is a quarterly goal that you have? Um, let's say let's say we have a marketing person who's over partnerships and their goal is to land 12 marketing partners this quarter and bring in 5,000 potential customers to our um, CRM system. Let's say that's their goal. I don't we don't actually have a goal currently this that, but let's say it was. Now, setting a KPI isn't how many have you landed. A KPI isn't how many leads have you brought in. Those are the goals and that's what you, that's the end result you want. But those are the lagging indicators of the actions they're doing. Typically what I try to do and what we try to do on the team is uh, have the KPI, what we track on a daily and weekly basis, be a leading indicator of the actions they need to take that will produce the goal that we want. So if the goal is 12 partnerships, 5,000 leads, what are the things they do on a daily and weekly basis that we can measure to know whether they're on track to accomplish that or not? 
uh, for that partnership person, it might be how many pitches did they send this week? Maybe they have a goal of send one pitch a day and follow up with one from, from one follow up once a day, pitch once a day. Maybe that's their goal. So on a weekly basis, we might ask, hey, how many pitches did you send? How many did you follow up with? And if the number is five or better, they're on track. If it's below that, they're not on track because that's what you can control. You should be able to directly control, 100% directly control your KPI. At the end of the day, that partnership person cannot directly control whether they get yeses or not. They can do all of the things perfectly, but at the end of the day, they can't make the person say yes. So I don't like having the KPI be something that they can't control. So how do you set a KPI? First, got to have a goal. What's the goal? Quarterly goal, yearly goal. I like quarterly or monthly just because it's a shorter time period and easier to look out. It's almost impossible to predict what a year from now will look like. It's pretty easy. I'm recording this on August the 5th, September, October, November. It's pretty, I mean, you could have a pretty accurate idea if you looked at your calendar and thought about it for two minutes, what November the 5th would look like. You probably have any vacation or time off or holiday. All that stuff's on the calendar already. You know what's up. Um, you probably even know what projects are going to be going on roughly at that time period. So it's also easy to goal that time out. So what's the goal? And then what is the thing they can do today or this week to affect that? That's your KPI. And that's what we want to look at, report on, and talk about on a weekly basis. We have stand-ups with each division of the company each week to look at our KPIs. What are your goal for the quarter? What's your KPI and how's it going? The question we ask at each meeting. And then what blockers do you have? So if you're trying to figure out what are my KPIs or what are my team's KPIs or um yeah, just ask the question, what's my goal? If you don't have an answer to that, spend your time there first and then say, what are the things I can do now or this week on a regular basis, every every day, every week to help accomplish that? And sometimes sometimes it's hard to get a leading indicator. Let me give you an example. Our um, support person, Bethany, uh, we have a goal of less than four hour response time and greater than 90% happiness score, which means we respond to tickets in less than four hours and 90% or more people greatest is doing a really good job of that. Um, and that's kind of also the KPI, like to try to reverse engineer back out a KPI that's not that is just kind of getting too granular because that's actually a thing you can measure on a weekly and daily basis. It's not like a partnership, but there's a lag time between the leading activity and the lagging activity leading indicator and uh, lagging indicator. Um, you can literally look on a daily basis. Are we doing well? Monthly basis. Are we doing well? Quarterly basis. Are we doing well? So for, for her, her number one KPI is less than four. What's your response time? What's your happiness score? And those should be four, four hours or less and 90% or greater. So some roles you might find are just measured more real time, in which case the lagging indicator of the goal might be the KPI. But most of the time, that's not the case. Usually there's a lag between the two. You do stuff and later on the result comes in. And in any scenario like that, I love having those be things I can do directly, 100% control, and I can do them today or this week and on a daily or weekly basis to know how I'm doing towards that. So that's how you set KPIs, or that's how we set KPIs. would love to hear from you if, you're, uh, if you do goals and KPIs. I'd love to hear how you do them as well and what your thought process is.